Cancer Free Podcast. I am your host, TJ Stevens. Depends. I was going to say, you only got one in you. Joining me, as always, Dollar Bill Dave. Dollar Bill Dave. And Timmy C. Where did my fucking glasses go? Ah, more on that later. Please remember to subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, follow the show on Twitter at FF Popcast, on Instagram at Filter Free Podcast. Follow the network at Filter Free Net. Before we go into our Patreon exclusive items, which, by the way, when this airs, me and Mike Cole will have, in fact, aired a new episode of Wrestling Rewrite. But also, with August 2005. Yep, when this show airs, also, we're. Be on the lookout for a huge announcement involving us three. Timmy, what is available on our Patreon account for our dummy heads? You will get our exclusive shows, Legends Let's Rethink This, which we just did an episode with Nick Aldis. We did. Fresh off his return to Impact. That's the kind of poll we have. Mm. Coming back in the fall, footballers getting paid with Tim and Dave. We have Kolb and TJ Steppens maybe possibly moving out of July 2005 on Wrestling Rewrite. Yes. The most consistent show of our network, Evolution of Evil, comes out every week. Yep. Evil. Plus, Evil. I'm not even going to talk about the 2023 schedule of events and bus rides. Look, I was, lo- I was looking online trying to find tickets to get my daughter for her birthday to just take her to a wrestling show ain't shit coming near here i don't there's like an embargo on the midwest for wrestling well what's fun is all three of us well four of us we're going to be at top guy weekend in alabama that's in june in june and they're having a uh, gcw show that weekend down there and all three of us four of us have agreed that um we're going to top golf instead yeah, we, we're going to top golf i Correct. i have zero interest in watching GCW, and if you like GCW, go have a ball. Not saying no one can watch it. I just think GCW is disgusting. Might want to get your tetanus shot before you go. Mm. Um, but yeah, later this week, be on the lookout again for a massive announcement involving us three knotheads. New things on the horizons. What else can we talk about? How you guys doing? I'm fabulous. Cubs have a winning record. The Rays are unstoppable right now. The Reds have won three in a row as Look of at today. you guys. You get all those things and so much more, but let's focus on this week. Or, we're going okay, back. Well, let's not. Let's focus on May 20th, 1997. Did you just steal my thing? I think I did. We, we need to start over. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. <laughs> but we are going to watch some ECW Hardcore TV. There was almost some wrestling on this show. <laughs> barely. Barely. They had announcers. Ugh. Yeah, well. Two of them, which is again, rare for them. Barely. Salmonella on a pole. Before we get to that show, let's see what was happening in your world yesterday. Let's run through some events. Filter free. Up first, stories that missed the cut. May 1st, Tony Blair is elected as the new prime minister of the United Kingdom. I loved him on the fact of life. This Tony Danza. Tony Danza. Not on the Facts of Life. That was Blair. Blair was on the Facts of Life. Blair Thomas. Blair. And George Clooney. 
May 1st, Flipper the Dolphin dies at age 40. Is that good? 40? Is that good? 40? 40. For a dolphin? Is that good? I don't know. I would think so. Fish. Dan Marino long. made it past 40, but... Well, he's... Dolphins are mammals. They're not fish. So is Dan Marino. Andy was a What's dolphin. the average lifetime of Well, while Dave is... Dolphin. This is, this is riveting. I can't wait to hear the answer. <laughs> Orcas. Average lifespan is 50. Oh, wait. Orca is not a dolphin. That's a fucking killer whale. We're good at this. We are good at bottlenose is the dolphin I think you're looking for. A pantropical spotted dolphin, 40 years. So, average. Striped dolphin, 55 to 60 years. Bottlenose dolphins in captivity. I'm not reading all that. How many? That was the one. Yeah, the next one should have been the number. What do you? And you stopped. <laughs> the average survival time in captivity for all bottlenose dolphin individuals who lived more than 12 years, nine months, and eight days, much lower than the wild, where they live between 30 and 50 years. So Dylan Flipper went full dolphin even in captivity. Yeah, that's weird. What are they putting the water down there? 13 years and it went 40. Huh. Anywho. <laughs> In the wild, bottlenose dolphins generally live between 30 and 50 years. So, average. This has been David's Nature Moment. May 2nd. Oh, Lord, he's still going. May 2nd. John Eccles, Australian neurologist and 1963 Nobel Prize winner for physiology of medicine, dies at age 94. Heroin overdose? (laughs) <laughs> Still a classic joke. I got you guys so good with that. I, like, I, I thought you, I legit thought you weren't lying. What? Old old uh, Ethel died of <laughs> OD Gabe at eight Brown Jr. <laughs> May third, Silver Charm wins the Kentucky Derby with jockey Gary Stevens. Oh, it's almost time to bet ponies on the boat. We're getting there. May 3rd with the Cranberries. The Rock marries Danny Garcia. Almost time to bet XFL playoffs. Mm. May 6th, the Hartford Whalers of the National Hockey League move to Carolina and become the Hurricanes. May 6th, Rick Pitino. I hate, I hate ice soccer, but that's terrible. Yeah, this is definitely Take still be Whalers out of Hartford and... Great uniforms. Great uniforms. Yeah. They have a lot of Whalers in Indiana, too. Correct. No, those are whales. Yeah, they're just like Timmy. Timmy's a whaler. I'm a whaler in Indiana. I, I need a jersey. Long John Timmy. <laughs> Give me oh. an eye patch and a jersey. Are oh, you fat bitch? Are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fat bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I might have killed TJ. <laughs> That needs to be a shirt, right? Now. <laughs> With a hook and an eye patch. And sunglasses. Are you fat, bitch? No, no sunglasses. Sunglasses. With, sunglasses with just one lens in it. <laughs> Klondike, don't let me down. May 6th. Rick Patino becomes the new head coach of the Boston Celtics. He lasts less than five seasons when he resigned with a 102 and 146 record. Right, too busy fucking an Italian restaurant. It's amazing you can't do that shit when you coach like I don't know the Boston Celtics. Probably the most it's prestigious team in the NBA. Really banging 
Irish restaurants in Boston. And, it's true. Well, to be fair, they probably have a lot better Italian restaurants in Boston than they do in Louisville. Yeah, well, they all Nothing play like a little Murphy's. doggy style while eating corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's Irish hound style. I was down until you named the entree, and then I was out. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not. May 6th, David Duchovny marries Tia Leone. Love still married threesome. I don't know if they're still married or not. I don't think so. Probably not. Well, he had to go to like sex addic- addiction therapy. He did. He certainly. So, well, she was in the movie Threesome, of course. He oh, from his what terrible. was his show where he was doing that show's good too. X Files, and then the one X Files. No, was Shameless. Was uh, after, I think. No, not Shameless. Californication. Like, Californication. Californication. That show's good. There's lots of hot boobies in it. Well, okay, that's a hot boobies. May 9th. Speaking of hot boobies, Bob Devaney, two-time national championship winning head coach for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I heard he had a nice set. In 1970 and 71, he dies at the age of 82. His career record in college football was 136, 30, and 7, and was 7 and 3 in bowl games. Now, mind you, this is when they had four bowl games. Ooh, it's so Devaney. Hmm. And he also, also keep in mind, he coached for Wyoming before he went to Nebraska. So that was where the three losses in bowl games Probably. Came. Probably. May 10th, your Chicago Cubs turned the 68th triple play in Major League history against the Giants. Three days before this, the Giants gave up 13 runs to the Montreal Expos in the sixth inning. So we've established they weren't good at baseball. So they were not very good at it. Not much of an achievement that year. Mm-mm. May 11th, more baseball. Carl Everett and Butch Husky of the New York Mets become the ninth tandem ever to record back-to-back pinch hit home runs. I can do that. Sure. How desperate are you out of that game that you send up players back-to-back for pinch hitters? It's a great question. I don't know. Injury, maybe? Hard to say. May or maybe their outfielder was Otis Nixon, and he always batted 113 with 81 stolen bases because he had an on base percentage of 410. <laughs> Although Otis Nixon never played for the Mets. May 12th, the California Angels scored 13 runs in the seventh inning against the White Sox. A lot of 13s in one inning here. A lot of baseball. Yes, because it's baseball season, and I like it. May 12th, a peace deal was struck between Russia and Chechnya after 400 years of conflict. Uh, that that's still going on? I don't think so. Probably not. May 13th, former show topic Eddie Murray becomes the sixth player ever to play in 3,000 games in Major League Baseball. Fat ass Eddie Murray. That's rude. May 14th, New York Yankees owner George Steinbrenner is suspended by baseball's executive council because Steinbrenner sued the other owners. I think we've covered that. F- fat ass George Steinbrenner. That That fits. I like it. May 16th, Gary Gaetti, third baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals, gets his 2,000th career hit. We have to do a future piece on, on Gaetti at some point because he made me one of the more underrated players the last 50 years. He played for 20 seasons, had 2,280 hits, 360 home runs, and he also won four gold gloves at third base. Fat ass, Gary Gaetti. We'll leave out his career batting average was 255. Terrible. May 17th. 
Sylvester Stallone marries Jennifer Flavin in London. Fat ass Jennifer <laughs> Flavin. <laughs> May 19th on an episode of Monday Night Raw, Farouk defeats Rocky Maivia. No one gives a shit. Who? <laughs> May 20th, Chicago White Sox Hall of Fame first baseman Frank Thomas reaches base safely for the 15th consecutive game. And he was hard I saw how fast you went talking about former WCW World Heavyweight Champion and Florida State Seminole legend Ron Simmons. I tried. But I make tried. sure you stop on Dick Hawkins Pill or Dick Pill Hawkins Fat. Dick Hawkins Pill. That Dick Hawkins Pill Frank Hawken. Thomas. <laughs> I was I was trying to say when he got when he got to first base, he was rock hard, but you started talking over me. Maybe Ron Simmons. Speaking of rock hard, Roger Clemens of the Toronto Blue Jays gets his 200th career win against the Yankees. He beat the Needle Yankees 200 the times. Roger Clemens. No, he didn't beat the Yankees 200 times. He got his oh. 200th career win while playing against the Yankees. Oh, coincidental. May 25th, the Minnesota Twins retire number 34 for Kirby Puckett. On the same day, Todd Stottlemyre wins his 100th career game, making him and his father Mel the first father-son combo to each win 100 games as a major league pitcher. Fat ass, Mel Stottlemyre. You, really, you went after Mel Stottlemyre, <laughs> not Kirby Puckett, which you've done nine thousand times. I was waiting show. for fat ass Kirby Puckett to hit, or even Todd Stottlemyre. You went after Mel, <laughs> the guy who pitched Thanks. in the '60s. <laughs> May twenty seventh, Ari Lyon Dyke wins the Indy five hundred for a second career victory at the hallowed track. Little ass Ari Lyon. Nobody knows what his ass looks like. It's <laughs> tiny a ass car. He's, Ari he's driving that little baby car. He ain't big. May, May 27th, Marv Albert pleads not guilty to charges of sexual assault. Okay, Marv. Yeah, that, not that, guilty. That worked no, out he. well for him. And that was stories that missed the cut. Stories Marv Albert and lingerie just does not do it for me. What, what did you say? Marv Albert and lingerie okay. just does not do it for me. I, I would 100. There's a lot of people I want to see in lingerie. Marv Albert. Ari Leyendijk, one of them? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Over Marv Albert, yep. Reggie Miller, I'd do it. <laughs> Larry Bird. <laughs> Reggie Miller. <laughs> well, eating Wendy's. Oh, yeah. yes. That's part of the deal. It's a package. Get it? I'll bet it's a package. May 2nd, May 7th, and May 19th. We're going to start this show by taking the piss out of Dave's segment as May of 1997 was loaded in the category of blockbusters. We see three huge premieres in the forms of Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, The Fifth Element, and Jurassic Park, The Lost World. They were all released in the month of May. I'm going to start with Austin Powers. Of course, yeah. of course I would. This film was written by Mike Myers and directed by Jay Roach. It starred Myers, Elizabeth Hurley, Michael York, and Mimi Rogers, and was produced by Myers, Suzanne and Jennifer Todd, and Demi Moore. I did not Machine know that. Machine Gun Bubbles. Yes. Who, who's hotter, Elizabeth Hurley or Demi Moore? Elizabeth Hurley. In this movie, absolutely. Well, Demi Moore was only words on the I screen, so. I don't care. It, it, it was made on a $16.5 million budget and grossed $67.7 million. In 1967, British spy Mike Myers is trying to stop an assassination attempt, easy for me to say, by his arch enemy, Dr. Evil. Evil escapes in a rocket and cryogenically freezes himself, 
Therefore, Powers volunteers to have himself frozen for when Dr. Evil, Dr. Evil returns. Dr. Evil does return in 1997 to see his assistant, number two, has created VirtuCon, a front for Dr. Evil's regime, and they try to steal nuclear secrets. Initially, Dr. Evil demands $1 million for the secrets, but then realizes the value of the dollar has dropped due to inflation and up to $100 million. Austin Powers is then reanimated, takes the world's longest fist, and then stops Dr. Evil, and the rest of the film sees Powers gain new allies from familiar places as they try and stop Dr. Evil. This movie did okay in the States, but flopped in the UK, which was attributed to the death of Princess Di one, more, one month before the film was released. That's what it said. I'm just repeating what it said. It's weird. The Lost World was the first sequel to Jurassic Park and raked in more than $618 million on a budget of $73 million. It's good. The, the Lost World picks up four years after the events on Isla Nublar and is all over the place. The movie starts off with a rich British family docking their yacht ashore Isla Sorna, unaware that the island contains genetically engineered dinosaurs. From there, a team is sent by Dr. John Hammond to return to the island to study the dinosaurs in their natural habitat, and all hell breaks loose. Eventually, a T-Rex ends up in California amongst a slew of other shit. The movie didn't get great reviews, but Dave seen it and loved it just like all the other Jurassic Park movies. And TJ's air conditioning or heater kicked on. This is the furnace. It's still very cold up here. Uh, can we talk about them going to that island? Someone should have put a fucking sign up or something. You'd think, yeah. Like dinosaurs. Hey, I saw a sign that said "Beware dinosaurs." I'm thinking this sign's 48 million years old. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. They can make this back then. <laughs> Ingenuity, and that's, and that's why rich people deserve to die. Mm. Lilu Dallas Multipass. Love this movie. Y'all left me the great one. Star study cast in this film. Bruce Willis, Chris Tucker, Gary Oldman, Luke Perry, and Mila Jovovich. Yum. I'm sorry. Hold on. Are you disappointed that you had to cover the fifth element? Yeah. Why? I'd, the, I'd have rather done Austin Powers. You know, I've never seen it. You've, You've never, never seen, seen the fifth Austin. element. Mm-mm. Oh, you should see it just for Mila Jovovich. I mean, yes. yes. She gets naked in it. No, she doesn't. Yes, she does. She spends her time mostly naked, but you don't see anything. Yes, if you she, do. If she's if she in the background, like, but you take... see her boobers. Oh, okay, I'm watching it tonight after the show. You should. J- Jandy hasn't been home in like 10 days. Goo-goo! At the time, it was the most expensive movie ever produced outside of Hollywood. And we'll take show pictures of Joel Watts. It was done in New York. (laughs) (laughs) Most expensive production in Gaumont's history. And at $80 million, the visual effects budget of this movie was the highest of all time. That's a lot of money for visual effects. Gary Oldman's character, Zorg, was a cross between then-presidential candidate Ross Perot and Bugs Bunny. I don't see the difference in them, actually. I... It's By the way, same Gary thing. Oldman, I know you keep making fun of his name. He was phenomenal in this movie. He's been phenomenal in a lot, but he has an old man name. Old man name. Luke Basson cast Mila Jovovich as Lilu because, quote, Mila has the physical thing. She can be from the past or the future. She can 
be an Egyptian or a Roman. She can be Nefertiti and she could be from outer space. That was one thing I liked physically about her. Us too, Luke. Us too. I liked everything physically about her. Yes. She could be from my bedroom. Doubt it. Nah, no, doubtful, she, but. no, she can't be from your bedroom, but she can be in it. She could be. You don't know. Only if she's drugged or tied down. Mm. Just took an odd turn. May 5th, a television icon says goodbye as the hit show Married with Children airs its final episode on Fox. I didn't realize it made it all the way till 97. It was so good. So it was. Good. The show lasted 11 seasons and starred Ed O'Neill, Kathy Seagal. Um, no. It's Katie. Katie Seagal. Katie Seagal, that's what I said. David no, Kathy. Stupid face. You said Kathy. I said Katie. Christina Applegate. No, it's not true. Everything they say is lies. Christina Applegate. And Ted Christy Applegate. <laughs> the show was based out of the great city of Chicago and follows the life of Al Bundy, a once-touted high school football player turned shoe salesman, his wife Peggy, and his two kids Bud and Kelly. The show debuted on national television as opposed to syndication in 1991 and is still seen around the world in television syndication. In, now, mind you, it started before that, but it, it was off syndication in 91. Had a cough. Even though the show was a pop culture icon, and some could argue that it still is, it never translated into rating success. Part of this has been attributed to Fox not having the affiliate network that ABC, CBS, and NBC had at the time. Therefore, therefore, the show did not reach the entire United States, which seems impossible. Here I spelled it right. Katie Seagal stated in a 2007 interview that Fox was only received in low-quality UHF channels well until the 1990s, if at all. This problem would not be rectified until the launch of Foxnet in June of 1991 and the channel's acquisition of NFL packages. For example... Ed O'Neill's hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, did not carry a Fox affiliate until 1998, one year after the show went off the air. O'Neill's Hard for them Ed- to watch it. Yes. O'Neill's friends and fam- family thought he was famous for beer commercials. Married with Children is one of the longest-run sitcoms in television history, comprising of 11 seasons and 256 episodes. While the series did not end on a cliffhanger... It was expected to be renewed for a 12th season, which would have been the final season, and thus didn't have a proper series finale when Fox decided to cancel it. Married with Children is considered the first raunchy sitcom to run on regular network television and didn't come without controversy. In 1989, some turd named Terry Racolta attempted to lead a boycott of the show after viewing the episode Her Cups Runneth Over. But wait. Offended by images of an old man wearing a woman's garter and stockings, the scene where Steve touches pasties on a mannequin dressed in S&M gear, a homosexual man wearing a tiara on his head, and a half-nude woman who takes off her bra in front of Al and is shown with her arms covering her bare chest in the next shot. Ricolta began a letter-writing campaign to advertisers demanding they boycott the show. How'd that work out for you, loser? Yeah, they only made it like nine more years after that. What a dude. Do we still have Deuce Canoe of the Week? Can we give it to Ed Ricolta? We can bring it back. It's Terry Ricolta, but yes. Whatever. Douche. Douche. All right, fun facts time. Ed O'Neill's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's in front of a shoe store. Love it. 
It also scored four touchdowns one game. After the last episode aired, Fox was trying to decide whether to renew the show. When they decided to cancel it, they did not notify the cast. They did not notify the cast. Ed O'Neill said he was on vacation and a couple staying near him read about the cancellation in the newspaper and told him about it. He bought them a meal in appreciation. What a nice guy. Telling him. He is a super nice guy, I've heard. In the opening sequence, the shot of cars on the interstate interchange is a part of a scene from National Lampoon's Vacation. You can see the family truckster if you play close attention. Former James Bond actor Sir Roger Moore. I don't know why I did that in a Sean Connery voice. Yeah, that sounded like Connery, stupid. I can't do a Roger Moore. Confessed that the series was a guilty pleasure of his. He had been friend of the late director Boris Seagal, father of Kathy Seagal, who played Peggy Bundy. Katie Seagal. Shitbird. Yes, I know. Thank you. The name Marcy Darcy is a play of the executive producer of The Cosby Show, Marcy Carcy. That's crazy. The working title for this show before it was named Married with Children was Not the Cosbys. <laughs> and from what I hear from Ed O'Neill, not the rapist either. Could you imagine? It's 1988. You're flipping through the channels like, hey, there's this new sitcom coming on. What's it called? Not the Cosbys. <laughs> I'm in. I would totally be in. I would watch it. Well, there's there's not a Cosby in this next story, but there is a Crosby. As on May 6th, it's time for a new class to head in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the Bee Gees, Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, the Jackson Five, Joni Mitchell. Young? Huh? What about Young? I, I don't know if Young went in with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. No. I think, he did. I think he went in by himself. You guys sucked. I like Young. No, the Southern man don't need him around anyhow. So. He's a no-hit wonder. That's not true. I said it. I said it. <laughs> I don't care if it's wrong. I said it. I can take Neil Young's old man. I'm sure you could. I think <laughs> he's like, dead now. He's like 94. Is he dead? I think he's dead. I don't think so. He should be. Oh, wow, that's pancreas. Elbow drop him from the third row. Jody Mitchell was in this, as well as Parliament Funkadelic Who? and the Young Rascals were all inducted. Did you say Jody Mitchell? Joni Mitchell. Okay. Yeah. You said Jody. Sometimes I spell them correctly. I'm going to take my favorite out of the group here, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. The super group in 1968 formed after the three singers performed together in July and realized they harmonized very well. Now, mind you, when I say they performed together in July, it wasn't planned. It just kind of happened, which is even more weird. Happened a lot in the 60s. It sure did. Crosby had left the Birds in 1967. Stills was in Buffalo Springfield, which broke up in early 1968, and Nash left his previous band, the Hollies, in December of 1967. By the way, all of those should also be in the Hall of Fame. Long, cool woman in a black dress, baby. The group signed with Atlantic Records in 1969 and released their first album together that same year with the album creating two top 40 hits in the forms of Sweet Judy Blue and Marrakesh Express. While setting up for the first tour, they added a fourth member, another Buffalo Springfield cast-off, Neil Young. The group would then go on to be one of the uh, one of the groups playing in the original Woodstock in 1969, which saw more than 400,000 attendees. Just don't ask too many questions about, you know, the crowd conditions. 
The now foursome's first album was in 1970 and is still their best-selling album featuring Woodstock, which is a song, Teach Your Children in Our House. Their next album in 1971 led to arguments within the group, causing drummer Dallas Taylor to be replaced by John Barbara. There was still tension within the group, leading to Stills being sent home, and then the group disbanded in 1971. They come back together on occasion, even releasing an additional eight albums with an added four live albums. Now, David Crosby did die last year. It's Bing Crosby. (laughs) Sidney Crosby. (laughs) Bill Crosby. Bing Crosby was... Nope. That was it. (laughs) I'm dreaming of a white... Obviously... I wasn't going to do Crosby, Stills, and Nash since I know jack shit about those chicks. So I'll take the Jackson 5. Managed by their father, Joe Jackson, the Jackson 5 consisted of brothers Michael, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, and Marlon. The group were one of the first African-American performers to attain a crossover following and obviously helped propel Michael to heights never imaginable. After leaving Steel Town Records in 1968, the Jackson Five signed with signed with Motown Records, where they became the first group to debut with four consecutive number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100. Over the years, the Jackson Five sold more than a hundred million albums worldwide, and were honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1980. It's actually right next to Ed O'Neill's in front of the shoe store. I believe you. Neil Young's still alive. Not. No, he is. He's alive. He's 78. He's old. I can take it. <laughs> P-Funk is a collective of rotating musicians headed by George Clinton, primarily consisting of the funk bands Parliament and Funkadelic, both active since the 1960s. The collective's origins date back to the doo-wop group The Parliaments, formed by Clinton during the late 50s in suburban New Jersey. The name Parliament Funkadelic became a catch-all term for the dozens of related musicians recording and touring different projects in Clinton's orbit, including the female vocal spinoff groups Brides of Funkenstein and Parlay. Prominent collective members have included bassist and huge Cincinnati Bengals fan Bootsy Collins. Who cares? Keyboardist Bernie Worrell, guitarist Eddie Maggot Brain Hazel, which is a great nickname. Solid. Michael Hampton, Gary Diaper Man Scheider with place number two on the <laughs> Diaper <nickname> Man. <laughs> and horn players Fred Wesley and Maceo Parker. How'd you get the nickname Diaper Man? I shit everywhere. <laughs> I, I just keep pooping in my pants, so they had to give me depends. Some former members of Parliament perform under the name Original P. 16 members of Parliament Funkadelic were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. Honestly, they could have saved some time and just inducted George Clinton because that's what all of it seemed to be about was George Clinton. Mm-hmm. Our next story is going to encompass the entire month of May as we're just going to cover whatever baseball story we wanted to because there wasn't a whole lot going on in the world of sports. Here in May of 1997, just everywhere else there was. So here's mine. A lot going on in baseball. I'm going to narrow it down to one story for me. I'm going to focus a feet on a feet from a Chicago Cubs game. Feet. A feet. 
the fetish? When the Cubs played the Pirates on May 26th, where Sammy Sosa of your Chicago Cubs and Tony Womack of the Pittsburgh Pirates both hit inside the park home runs in the same game. Womack played 13 seasons in in Major League Baseball, five with Pittsburgh, five with Arizona, two with the Cubs, less than a season with the Rockies, one with the Cardinals and Yankees, and less than a season with the Reds. Because who wants to play an entire season in Cincinnati? He batted 273 over his career and was a premier speed threat on the bases, stealing 363 bags over his career and was the stolen base leader in all three seasons between 1997 and 1999. Um, the World Series. The greatest of all time. Yes. Hey, I'm sure Ricky Henderson won one of those years. Well, I mean, Ricky Henderson stole 363 bases in like two years. But anyways, uh, he also won a World Series ring with the Diamondbacks when they pulled off the upset of the century by beating the Yankees. Now let's get to the reason I picked this story. Sammy Sosa. The 19-year veteran played for four different teams, including the Rangers, White Sox, Orioles, and who could forget his 13 seasons with your Chicago Cubs. Sosa and Mark McGuire made baseball cool again in 1998 in the chase for Maris. Steroids. Well, no shit. Both players were vying to break Roger Maris' single-season home run record of 61, and both players did, with McGuire hitting 70 and Sosa hitting 66. Sosa is still the only player in Major League history to hit 60 home runs in three different seasons, is ninth all-time with 609 home runs, second all-time for a player born outside the U.S. in home runs, Albert Pujols is first, and is the last player to bat 160 runs. He is also the last player to bat in 160 runs in one season. Did he use steroids? Of course he did. Who are we kidding? The legendary Rays of Tampa Bay went undefeated in May of 1997. And that is just something you don't see anymore in the game of baseball. Who cares about these silly inside the park home runs? They, when did the, the they Rays become a team? They weren't a team. 19, 1998. Okay. Okay. Just want to make sure. Well, I didn't understand the assignment here. So I just wanted yeah, I didn't to expound ex- on I, TJ's. So, uh, so to everyone that's listening, this was supposed to be like a pick-your-own-story type of thing, and I didn't explain that at all. So, my bad. It's okay. I'm going to do good here. I have a feeling. I focused on the in-the-park home run stats. Most in-the-park home runs in a career? 55. Good By Lord. a speedster from the 1890s, Jesse Burkett. You went to high school with him, didn't you? By he the way, a, he ran a 612 40. <laughs> By the way, he hit 75 total home runs in his career, which means he only hit 20 regular home runs and 55 in the park home runs. Well, I mean, to be fair, stadiums back then, like center field wall was like 509 feet. That's only at the polo grounds. Yeah. Most in a season by one player, 12 by Cincinnati Reds legend Sam Crawford. In, you got it, 1899. Only 98 years before this. Last player to connect twice with inside the park home runs during the same game. You would think I'd be going 1890s on this. Greg Gagne of the Minnesota Twins on October 4th, 1986. 
Vern's kid? Vern would have been so proud that Greg hey, hit man. two in the park home runs in a game. All while being a How do you do that? Well, for one, did, uh, he was his. Why did so he even he was, go to wrestling? He should have stayed in baseball. He was a shortstop, and his third baseman that year was Gary Gaetti, who was early in the story. But also, I'd hate to disappoint everyone because it was great it was as it would be to have a Ganya playing for the Minnesota Twins. His last name was pronounced Gagney. What an idiot! He just didn't know how to pronounce it. Greg Gagney is how. By the way, name. Jim Brunzel was probably the second baseman. Could have been Baron von Raschke. He, was the he had to be the manager. Yes. Now, with baseball under our belts, it is baseball season. It's time for box score trivia. Because you don't trust anyone, or they can misconstrue, misconstrue your work. Just so I won't get fined, boss. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. You like that? You like that? Here we go with box score trivia. We're doing Major League Baseball leaders for the year. Sammy Sosa. Of 1997. First category, batting average. I listed home runs in the store. That was 98, but still. Batting average leaders, top 10. Let's see, we haven't done baseball in a while, so I'll say four here. Tony Gary Larkin. Tony Gwynn led the league 372. Barry Larkin, of course not. Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, no. Sean Casey. Sure. I'm not going to even answer that. Hal Morris. Nope, still not. Hey, let me help you, Timmy. There's no Cincinnati Reds or Tampa Bay Rays on this list. Otis Giambi. You say Jason Giambi? Yeah. No. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. That's that's better, but no. We're getting there. More reasonable. Dave Magadan. D- Dave Magadan. Eddie Taubensee. Wade Boggs. Nope. No Wade Boggs. No Ma Garcia Para. You guys are really letting me down right now. No, no Ma. Manny Fernandez. Manny Fernandez. <laughs> I think he means uh, Manny. Uh, the hell's his name? Played Heck for the Red know. Sox. His first name is Manny. It is Man- Ramirez. Manny Ramirez, Ramirez <laughs> number nine of the what are they now? The Cleveland Guardians, three twenty-eight. Lou Whitaker. <laughs> there are no tigers on this list because, of course, <laughs> it's the nineties. There are no tigers anywhere. Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, number four, three forty-seven. There's Pill Hawking fat ass Frank Thomas. Need one Dick more. Hawking Pill Frank Thomas. We got Tony Gwynn, Frank Thomas, and Manny Ramirez. We need one more. Let's see, 97. We got San Diego, the Yankees, another Cleveland player, Seattle, Atlanta. Ichiro. No, Ichiro started in 2001. The Dodgers. Griffey. And the the Rockies. No Griffey. 
Um, A Rod. No. Todd Helton. No. Shannon Sharp. <laughs> the big cat. Andres Galarraga. No. Oh, I wouldn't have said um, his name if, if he was one. One more guess each. Oh, uh, Yankees. Um, Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams is correct. Number eight. A-Rod? 328. I said A-Rod, stupid. Here's the rest of your top ten. At number ten of the San Diego Padres, Wally Joyner, 327. Wally Joyner. Wally Joyner. At number seven, from Cleveland, David Justice, 329. Dave Justice, really? David Justice. Well, there's another one that's on here that's even more weird. Number six, Edgar Martinez, 330. Yeah, he's good. Number five, Kenny Lofton of the Atlanta Braves, 333. Kenny Lofton? (laughs) He's got to get foot loose. Number three, Mike Pizza, 362 of the LA Dodgers. Catcher Mike Pizza. And number two, Larry Walker of the Colorado Rockies, 366. None of those were that weird. Kenny Lofton with Atlanta, I thought was weird. No one remembers Kenny Lofton played for Atlanta. It was only weird because he was with Atlanta. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Top 10 RBI leaders. We're doing four categories this week. McGuire. Two RBI, or two offensive, two pitching. Mark McGuire tied for 10th. 123. This was the year he was uh, traded from Oakland to St. Louis. Sammy Sosa. No Sammy Sosa. So RBIs, we did four for batting average. I'll say four for for RBI as well. There, were, there, there are a couple guys on this list that you said in the last one that showed Frank up. Frank Thomas. One. Ken Griffey, number one, 147. Frank Thomas, number eight, 125. One more to go. A-Rod. No A-Rod. Please stop saying his name. Bernie Williams. No Bernie Williams. Paul O'Neill. There is a Yankee on here, but it's not Paul O'Neill. Well, I was thinking he might be a red. So Jason Giambi. Jason Giambi, no. Jeremy Giambi. <laughs> Mike Pizza. Mike Pizza. Number nine. Ozzy Canseco. Here's the rest of your top ten. At number seven, Tim Salmon of the California Angels, 129. Pronounced Salmon. That smells a little Selman. fishy. I don't know about it. Number six. Larry Walker, 130. Number five, Juan Gon. Juan Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers, 131. Steroids. Number four, Jeff Bagwell, 135. Steroids. Number three, the big cat, Andres Galarraga, 140. No steroids really in lad. that fat ass. No, he was just a large, bad dude. That's what he was. And number two of the New York Yankees, Tino Martinez. Tino Martinez. 141. Let's go to Major League Pitching Wins Leaders. We'll do three 97. here. We'll C. do C. three Sabathia. here. In 1997. Yeah. Mm. No. Oh. Greg Randy Maddox. Johnson. Greg Maddox tied for fifth with 19. Randy Johnson tied for second with 20. One more. You already only need one more. Glavin? Tom Glavin. No. John Rocker. He was, was a, a closer. Relief pitcher. <laughs> uh, we talked about one of these guys earlier. There's the stories that missed the cut. Mike Pizza. Is 
Still not a not a pitcher. Jose Rijo. <laughs> no. Uh, the guy from Boston. Kurt Schilling. Pedro Martinez. Kurt Schilling and Pe- uh, Pedro Martinez, then of the Montreal Expos, both tied for ninth with 17. Here's the rest of your top 10. Tied with uh, Pedro and Kurt. Alex Roger Clemens. Alex Fernandez of the Florida Marlins and Jamie Moyer, all with 17. All 82 miles an hour yeah. of his fastball. He pitched till he was 53 Moyer. years old. Number eight, <laughs> Andy Pettit of the New York ah, Yankees with 18. Steroids. Fifth, tied with Greg Maddox, Daryl Kyle of the Houston Astros, and Sean Estes of the Giants with 19. Cincinnati Reds legend, Daryl Kyle. Tied for second with Randy Johnson, My Brad cousin. Radke, and Denny Nagel. And number one legend, Denny Nagel. And number one of the Toronto Blue Jays with 21 wins, Roger Clements. Got it. Earned run average. Roger Clements. Earned run average leaders for 1997. We'll do four here because there's a lot of repeats on this list. Roger Clements. Roger Clements, number two, 2.05. Mariano Rivera. Andy Pettit, 2.88. Number nine. Mariano Rivera, not a starting pitcher. Oh, you said ERA. Yeah, for starting pitchers. Greg Maddox. Oh, you didn't say for starting pitchers. You said ERA. Greg Maddox, number three, 2.20. There's three. One more to go. (coughs) So good ones on this list. Floyd Berry. Kurt Schilling. Floyd Berry. No Kurt Schilling. Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, number four. Seattle Mariners, 2.28. Here's the rest of your top ten. At number 10 of the New York Mets, Rick Reed, 2.89. Number 9, Andy Pettit, 2.88. Number 8, David Cohn, 2.82. Oh, forgot about him. Number 7, former show topic, Kevin Brown, 2.69 to the Florida Marlins. Number 6, here's a blast of the past, Ishmael Valdez, 2.65 of the Dodgers. Rocket. That's right. That's that's rocket, Ismail. That's what I said. Number five, Daryl Kyle, two point five seven. David Kyle and that's your right. league leader at one point nine zero. Denny, Mar- oh, I'm sorry, Pedro Martinez of the Montreal Expos. Who's Denny? Denny Martinez also pitched for the Expos, but it was the wrong Correct. Martinez. Not nearly as good. And that was box score trivia. Timmy, what have you got for us? Means it's my turn. Producer, throw to the clip. <laughs> that means it's my turn. Mm. Let's go to Timmy's Trivioki. I'm walking outside. Hey. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. I love it. I'm like, oh, oh, my darling. You look wonderful tonight. Okay, just love her. World famous racist Eric Clapton. Right. Timmy's Trivioki. I have so much hair now. Watching that clip, I've made a decision. I'm growing my hair back out. Me too. You going to get that little balloon knot on your head again? Please don't. Damn right I am. Timmy's apparently taking a vow of celibacy. <laughs> well, if I can't have the sunglasses, I'm going to have the top knot. Quit dropping hints, bro. 
Although, I mean, dropping the sunglasses means nothing. Right. Yeah, to any, thanks, to, to thanks anyone, for that. I so meant to anyone, anyone outside of us, it means nothing. <laughs> they don't know what we're talking about. Exactly. Song number one, clue number one. This song is the lead single from the band's debut full-length studio album, Middle of Nowhere. I don't know why I felt like this is going to be a Crater or Nickelback song. Clue number two. He <laughs> didn't say no. This was a major success worldwide, reaching number one in at least 12 countries, including Australia. Good day. Good day. Canada. A. Maple syrup. A. I I don't know why I drew a blank. Germany. Dugan Schnauzer. Dugan <laughs> Volkswagen. New Zealand. Hey! The United Kingdom and the United States. Fabulous. Revolutionary War. Oh, that's rude. Clue number three. And this is the throwback. This is a great song for scissoring. Mbop. <laughs> Correct. Oh, yes. The chick group Hanson. That middle the- that middle Hanson. May of 1997, great for movies, annoying for music. Who knew that COVID was a thing back in 97? Did you see how far apart they were in the room they were playing? Yeah, social distancing, man. Gotta be safe. 1997, that's crazy. Song number two, clue number one. This was released as the first single from the album Life After Death on March 4th, 1997. Um, 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 Biggie. Hypnotize. Correct. Biggie, biggie, biggie. Can't, can't you, you see? see? Sometimes, Sometimes it was hypnotizing. Me. This is also the last song released before his death in a drive-by shooting. A week later, it was the fifth song credited to the artist to hit number one posthumously. Song number three. Clue number one. This is a song recorded by Julia Covington for the 1976 concept album Evita. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Wow, Dave is on fire tonight. Are you tonight. shitting me right now? You should be ashamed, sir. That Madonna's version song. reached yeah. number one in the European Hot 100 singles chart and the national charts of the Czech Republic, Budweiser, France, Grey Goose, Hungary, like the wolf, and Spain, like the wolf. Throw to the clip. Don't cry for me, Argentina. The truth is, I never. It's all right that I did bad in this segment because I've been owning movies for you the were entire the worst person on this show in that segment. The entire year of 2023, I've led this game. Yep. Hit my music. It's time for Dave's Faves. Have you seen it? A life together? When do we ever have a life together? Come on, Sporto. Level with me. You slipper the hot beef injection. Go to hell! No. <laughs> hey, 
All right, the slate is clean, fellas. Zero zero. I'm gonna win. <laughs> After last week's Hell Mary with Ernest goes to jail. Nah. You know what I mean, Vern? Again. Know what I mean, Vern? Hmm. Eggs erroneous. That goes to camp. Right I here. know. Damn it. Hey. Chicken pot pie. <laughs> All right. This week we have four movies. Movie number one. Our first movie this week is an American disaster film that grossed more than $122 million on a $90 million budget. After an earthquake strikes Los Angeles, an eruption downtown leads city officials... Volcano? Volcano. Stars Tommy Lee Jones and... What a terrible movie. Hit the clip. Tommy Lee Jones ain't jumping shit. I have not watched that movie since it was released. I'm pretty sure. So I've not Dante's seen it. Peak, ever. It was a good movie. It was all right. Not as good as 2012. The, the, the ending is pretty anticlimactic. All right. Let's go ahead and mark down. It cools down and the lava PJ. dries out. No, they just like they like. Oh, we have this channel system to divert lava into the ocean. And spoiler oh. alert, it worked. So we created a new California. No. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, I did. Kind West of. California. West California. <laughs> West Fornia. Yeah. All right. Movie number B. If you guys get this, you get two points because this one's hard. I'm hard. Two point movie. With a budget of $53 million, our second movie this week raked in an ungodly amount of $19 million. Whoa. Joe Waters and Gus Green are bumbling, blue-collar, yet happy best friends and next-door neighbors who live modestly in Newark, New Jersey. These two lifelong buddies must now overcome a series of obstacles to enjoy their ultimate fishing trip and make it home Bucket for list. Thanksgiving. No, Don fishing. Shit. Don fishing. Timmy C yeah. with two points. He got it. He got it. That was a good one. Good one. I will applaud you. Flip. Look at the game of this job. Get out of here. Not our fault. It's broke. The thing broke. Leave us alone. We got enough problems. Watch those bushes. I'm going to need you to explain to me how a buddy comedy with Joe Pesci and Danny Glover only made $19 million. I love that movie. Because they went fishing. Okay. Nobody gives a shit about fishing. 
All right, here we go. Whoever's fastest gets the point. Truman Gone Horan. <laughs> Our third movie this week grossed more than $302 million on a budget of $45 million. Pretty good. It's cleaning up. Fletcher Reed is a lawyer and divorced father. Uh, liar, liar. <laughs> so we tied. No, there's one more. Didn't say anything. Oh. What did you just say, liar? Liar, liar. Gay. Tied 2-2 going into the last movie after we hit the clip. He's a pedantic, pontificating, pretentious bastard, a belligerent old fart, a worthless steaming pile of cow dung. <laughs> That's the funniest damn thing I've ever heard. You're a real car, Reed. I love a good roast. Do Simmons. Simmons is old. He should have been out of the game years ago, but he can't stay home because he hates his wife. You've met her at the Christmas parties. She's the one that gets plastered and calls him a. so far up Mr. Allen's ass, I can't tell where you end and he begins! You have bad breath caused by gingivitis. You couldn't get a porn star off. Loser! Idiot! Whim! Degenerate! Love that movie. How do you not pick the scene with that's because you have big jugs? That is the worst Jim Carrey movie no. Ever. Yes. No. It's terrible. Absolutely not. It's terrible. No, it's not terrible. All it's right. Terrible. Movie number D. So I'm going to win. The last game. movie grossed more than $136 million on a budget of $45 million. Yeah. A film crew shooting a documentary on the Shirashamas, a long lost indigenous Amazonian tribe. Blair Witch Project. No. Navigates their uh, way. Anaconda. Anaconda, Timmy oh, C. My Anaconda don't want none unless you got buns on. Hit the clip with Ice Cube and Jennifer Lopez. You speak for everybody? Huh? Gary? Well, I mean, the, you know, the way I figure with Kale messed up, I mean, the movie's off. Why not salvage something? You know, let's film Sarone capturing a big snake. Have you lost your mind? Have I lost my mind? No, I haven't lost my mind. If anything, I'm completely lucid right now. I think it's you guys who need to open up your eyes. I love that you say Ice Cube and J-Lo, yet John Voight and Owen Wilson are in that <laughs> The clip. complete opposite of Ice Cube is in the clip. <laughs> Owen Wilson. Vanilla ice cream, maybe. That's ah. I've seen Anaconda once, and not, uh, in, until you until that you said that was correct, I was actually thinking Congo. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. Timmy leads three two after week one. It's all right. You always lead going to the final week, and then I'm like Roger Staubach. I'm going to hit Drew Pearson for that hill because Dave goes. This last one's worth eighteen points. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it was not worth eighteen points? This damn show we had to watch, ECW Hardcore TV, for May 20th, 1997. And your announcers, you heard me right, it's an ECW show with announcers, plural, Joey Styles and Rick Rude. Who? 
We opened the show with the ending of a match between Shane Douglas and the rookie Chris Chetty for the ECW title. Not a bad exchange here, but Douglas gets the win with the belly-to-belly. Now we go to the booth with Joey Styles and Rick Rude for some uh, highlights of Barry Legal, which happened the week prior. And we also give uh, some lame-ass sex puns and stuff because ECW is so edgy and all. I used to have the Barely Legal pay-per-view on DVD. And while it had some great moments, it showed just how much ECW had to go to become better. Yeah. They had some great matches, but they also had some terrible bloodbaths that have no business in wrestling. Well, that's the show where RVD hit the map, was Barely Legal 97. All right, so we jump right into the middle of a match here, huh? Good way to go into a show. Uh, and it's Chris Chetty versus Shane Douglas, like you said, because they don't tell that. So I, I'm I'm fairly certain uh, Chris Chetty is Taz's cousin, and I'm yeah. also certain Chris Chetty is the only person who ever graduated the ECW dungeon or whatever they called it. He was not bad. It's all right. And <laughs> much to my surprise, there was a two man booth in ECW. What is going on? Rude, 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 rude. rude. RuPaul (laughs) Rick Rude sticking out like a sore thumb here but he will eventually find his way because I think he gets better in this show he'll find his way to WCW that's where he finds his way to match one Spike Dudley versus Taz Taz is choking uh, coming off choking out Sabu at Barely Legal but had his manager Bill Alfonso turn on him as Taz was attacked by RVD we talk about the biggest overachievers in wrestling. We don't talk about Spike Dudley nearly enough. Eventually, Taz gets to win the Taz mission and then starts screaming into the camera about Vince McMahon for some weird reason. The only thing Spike Dudley ever did that was noteworthy was getting thrown into the crowd. By Bam Bam Bigelow. Yes. Taz was the first real megastar ECW had, and he was in full force by 1997. Full force. I'm just, I just read Timmy's note. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> However, one of the main downfalls of ECW was trying too hard to shit all over WWF and WCW instead of worrying about building themselves up. Correct. I saw this and all I thought was, I didn't even know ECW had a little person division. That's solid. <laughs> Both Absol- under 5-1. It's absolutely solid. I can't even argue it. <laughs> oh, look, more Rick Rude sex puns about Francine. Fantastic. But they were well, good. I mean, it's Francine, though. Back in 1997, 15-year-old me would have run through a brick wall head first to get a crack at 97 Francine. I'd have given her a good 15 seconds. A goo-goo. <laughs> my God. I would have I got my jinkos around my knees. Uh, and I'm when done. Thank you. About, when he talks about her, he says, she can't wrestle, but you ought to see her box. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that was good. It made me decide Rick Rude might be underrated on commentary. I'm just saying. It is weird they never, like, no one else tried him there. Now we're getting highlight packages from the Pit Bulls versus the FBI. Balls Mahoney against some boob. The Sandman's entrance, meaning it was all downhill from there. Louis Spicoli throwing Dreamer down some stairs. With this many highlights, I already know not to buy the next pay-per-view. I can just watch the majority of the show on the next show for free. 
True. They were notorious for that. It was yeah. just a big advertisement for past shows. So this this next thing is going to be confusing. So I thought this was a Chris Candido promo about RVD, but it lasted 38 minutes. So it went because he wanted to see his wife. Up next is uh, up next is Chris Candido talking about RVD. Short and to the point. I was on board here in but lost you lost me quick. Rude mentions RVD in the WWF. How was the fact that Vince was funding ECW not obvious at this time? They talked about him all the time. They just thought he wasn't litigious against ECW. That's true. Now we get a Raven promo about RVD. Apparently everyone's just going to talk shit about RVD in the WWF. True. Terry Funk stands out in this string of promos because he's not screaming like a buffoon, but yet he commands attention and respect. Is this the rest of the show? Is my next note because it's close. forever. It was close. Everyone is talking shit about RVD wanting to go to the WWF, including Raven. When just forty days after this show aired, Raven debuted in WCW. Yeah, barely legal was pretty much the end of Raven's run in ECW. It was a good one, but it's too bad he left because his character never fit in anywhere else. All I thought was doesn't seem like a lot of people like Rob Van Dam here. So I, I but I had- here's my thing. He's gone. Why are you going to designate half your damn show to talking about a guy who's left? He's not gone. He didn't go. He went to WWF for like one match. So oh, and then yeah. WWF gave them Lawler, and they had a it was yes. Mister Monday Night Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lawler versus Tommy Dreamer, and they built they built up a Lawler versus Dreamer match. So the 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 two biggest pops in ECW history was when Lawler debuted on ECW TV because no one expected it was going to happen. Then I want to say it was the next week or the week after Lawler came out, the lights went out again when they came back on. Fucking Jim Cornette was at ringside, That's which again, no one thought was going to happen. But um, not uh, not at work. Jim Cornette and Jerry Lawler genuinely hated ECW. So. Since RVD wrestled on Monday Night Raw, and that's why all this is going on. There you go. I just said it. Here we get more Rickard sex jokes. I'm over it already. Match two. Raven and Dreamer have a dream opponent tag match, which I had never heard before. Each one will get to pick their own partner. Dreamer picks Terry Funk, and Raven, who's with Chastity, picks Stevie Richards, and some guy picking his nose. I don't know who that was. Both terrible picks. Terry Funk and Stevie Richards were terrible picks? Yes. Or picking your nose. Or picking your nose. Both. And picking your nose. All three terrible picks. So if you were in a company and you had the pick of your uh, your your tag partner, you would not pick the world champion of that uh, company because that's what Terry Funk was. Not if he was 47. He was He was actually like 51. Okay. Still wouldn't pick him. Bob <laughs> Cook would have picked him. He would have. Absolutely Bob Cook. I would have picked former WCW. I would have picked Bob Cook over Florida State Seminole legend Ron Simmons. Hold on. How are you going to pick Bob Cook over Terry Funk? He was 51. He was the world champion. Big Dick Dudley was in the promotion. Yeah, but he was always on a crutch because he was hurt. Yeah. Well, good. Hit him with the crutch. crutch You're not good at this. So it's good to know that if we ever have this, Timmy's team's going to lose. Have Tommy Dreamer work out in this match. Because he's, he's going to pick the biggest dude, and he's going to lose. Almost. Anyway, 
The story in this match is that Stevie and Raven still have differences from when they were partners before, but now Stevie's in the BWO and Raven wants no part of Terry Funk. But don't feel too bad about Raven and Stevie. That sweet WCW money would right all their wrongs. This match spills to the outside because, of course, it did. As the match continues, Raven and Stevie start to get some of the chemistry back. There's an incredibly stupid table spot in this match where Raven throws mm-hmm. Funk into an already broken table and the crowd <laughs> chants ECW. We are <laughs> that I mean it is ECW. We are too easily pleased back in 1997. Stevie and Raven fight over who's gonna get the win on Funk. Raven hits the DDT on Stevie and tries to beat Funk with his own move, the spinning told. We have a ref bump. Here comes Louis Spicoli. Stevie super kicks Spicoli and then pins Funk. That's the show. That whole, So we're done already. The entire show is over. We're done. Best show ever. To watch, sure. To cover, yeah, absolutely. This is one of those matches that could have been incredible, but the sheer violence in ECW just got out of hands at times. Paul Heyman is really lucky no one ever really got seriously hurt because there's no way he could have gotten himself out of some of the shit he could have been into financially with the spots that these guys did in ECW. There was one. Well, the mass transit. Mass transit was the one. But like I said, ECW hardcore TV was mainly just promos and showing old matches. And that's how it always was until they started to air their real show on TNT. TNN. Or yeah, TNN. But that only lasted for like a year, and then they got bought out. Because they were experiment for Raw. I mean, you think of the people they had in ECW here. This could have been – I mean, he could have put on good television shows Mm. instead of just promos. But ECW, ever since they changed from Eastern Championship Wrestling to Extreme Championship Wrestling, the whole show was just a promo. Mm -hmm. And that's all we ever got. You guys literally just talked – 10 minutes about the last match and did not mention the best part of it. Beulah. Beulah was so hot here. God. Want to touch the hiney? Yes. Oh. Formulaic W or ECW. I don't know why it says WCW. Of course, they weren't very good here either. Mm. They fight into the crowd because that's what they do. Someone hands them a cheese grater. Someone hands them a garbage can lid. Someone hands them a block of Elvita. I don't know why Raven hates Stevie Richards so much. Why? Because they were they used to be partners and now they're not. Well, they were partners here. What do you Raven mean? was a heel he was and Stevie Richards was a babyface here in the Smash technically. He didn't look babyface. That's yeah. all I got. I, I was not impressed by this because um, it's ECW and that's what I do for ECW. I don't get impressed. Um, I know ECW. it's the wrong year. You guys tell me that every time. It's the wrong year. I, I know. You have to watch it between June and August of 1998. That was really when they got hot. I want to watch it during 2006 and see if it gets better. Um, I Yeah, I mean, there's, there's something to be said about them focusing too much on WCW on the negative part of it. But again, when you li- when you go back and listen to these promos, knowing what we know now about ECW, the WWF, how did no one figure out the ECW was on the payroll. How how did no Once one? Once they showed that? up on WWF television, everyone knew. 
Yeah, and then again, Lawler and Corbin. But originally, Todd they, no, Gordon. They didn't because back then there was not social media. But I Todd mean, Gordon was, was like, on the wow, WCW look how cool payroll. This is. Was he? Yeah, because he was funneling guys to WCW. See, that's I, why. That's why I, Heyman eventually kicked him out. Well, it was Gordon and Alfonso. That's that's the, the that's the yeah. uh, backstory between uh, the Alfonso Beulah McCuddy Beulah McGillicuddy street fight. Yeah, it's one of the bloodiest matches of all time. Is because Alfonso had to earn his job back. Yeah. It's batshit. ECW is so interesting, and I've talked to other uh, wrestlers about this doing interviews with PW Mania, and you and you look back on it with 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 rose colored glasses because you know it was it, it fit perfectly in the time, and your your I think your age has a big part of it. And where the fit in the lexicon, but when you go back and watch it as an adult, you're like, this is trash. This is absolute filth. ECW was terrible. <laughs> but 1997 and, was a different time, and WWF had been boring. Sure. No argument WCW there. had been boring. And ECW made some legit stars. Rob Van Dam being probably the best example. Lance Storm. Chris Jericho was already on his way in WCW here. But, like, there's a reason why... The Sandman and uh, the hell's his name? The gangsters. Well, either one of them. Pete, oh, uh, Public Enemy. Public Enemy is another one. There's, there's a reason why these guys, when they left ECW, they never got over because they weren't gonna. They were over to that one small niche audience. They weren't gonna get over anywhere else. As soon as the same man got to national television, he actually had to wrestle. He couldn't wrestle for shit. Pe- people saw right through him. It was a one-hit wonder. The 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 intro, the entrance was it with yep. the same man. But you know what I'm looking forward to? It's two things. I'm looking forward to people enjoying this episode and then giving us five-star reviews, as they should. We deserve it. And then following the show on Twitter at FF Podcast. On Instagram at Filter Free Podcast, <laughs> me dying. Follow the network <laughs> at Filter Free Net, and then following us on our own individual platforms at Dollar Bill Dave, at Dave in the QC, Timmy C, at Timmy C nineteen seventy nine, and I am at T Stevens ninety one. Next week, you want to talk about from going one extreme to the other? We're going to cover some USWA. From yes. May 21st, 1994. Dr. Kevorkian gets some free time. Bobcat Goldthwaite starts the fire. Dave Winfield's moving on up and so much more. Until this has been the Filter Free Podcast. So long for now. Joke of the week. Why is it frowned upon to laugh loudly in Hawaii? Why? Because they want you to keep it to a low hop.